Lowest transfer. From atop the lowest state theater building. Tales of intrigue, adventure, and the mysterious occult that will stir your imagination and make your very blood run cold. This is Dark Adventure Radio Theater with your host, Erskine Blackwell. Today's episode, H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon. The ocean's imponderable depths contain mysteries far beyond the grasp of mortal men. From the adventurous mariners of ancient times to the simple fishermen of our own New England of yesteryear, mankind has found the seven seas to be both a source of life and a watery grave. When man seeks to delve too deeply into that abyss, what appalling secrets will rise to the surface? And what will mankind do when faced with the unnamed horrors of the deep? My friends, in child or adult, a disposition that is easily and often upset, even just slightly, can make everyone feel out of sorts all over. But a sunny smile is usually associated with blooming health. In millions of homes, Bubble Pep is the smile-bringing family drink. Its cheerful, clean-tasting flavor and liveliness boost your good nature. And that scientific splash of lithium keeps the kitties on an even keel. From granddad down to tiny tots, everyone likes it. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this broadcast to bring you an urgent news story coming in across the wires. Headline, California Ferry Rescue Underway. A ferry boat carrying some 300 passengers across San Francisco Bay has radioed SOS and appears to be in danger of sinking. A Coast Guard rescue ship is being dispatched. We will bring you more information as the situation develops. We now return you to Erskine Blackwell and Dark Adventure Radio Theater. Now, we're live. Yes, friends, that's Bubble Pep. From granddad down to the tiny tots, everyone likes it, and it likes everyone. Get a case of Bubble Pep today. Invite the family to sip it. Taste it. Drink it slowly and notice that peppy effect. It's complete satisfaction of your taste and thirst. Keep them smiling with Bubble Pep. The L is for lithium. Drink Bubble Pep. It'll fix you fast. Drink Bubble Pep. For a zip that lasts. That's Bubble Pep. Go and buy you some. The L is for lithium. Yum, yum. And now, Dark Adventure Radio Theater presents H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon. I am writing this under an appreciable mental strain. Since by tonight, I shall be no more. Penniless and at the end of my supply of the drug, which alone makes life endurable, I can bear the torture no longer and shall cast myself from this garret window into the squalid street below. 
Do not think from my slavery to morphine that I am a weakling or a degenerate. When you have read these hastily scrawled pages, you may guess, though never fully realize, why it is that I must have forgetfulness or death. It was in one of the most open and least... We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special bulletin on the San Francisco ferry disaster. This is Nathan Reed with Worldwide Wireless News. Ladies and gentlemen, less than half an hour ago, a Southern Pacific Golden Gate ferry boat carrying more than 300 passengers began to sink in San Francisco Bay, a little less than a mile north and west of Pier 41 on the way to Sausalito. The cause of the disaster has not been determined. A Coast Guard rescue cutter, CG-243, has been dispatched from the base at Yerba Buena and is now pulling a alongside the afflicted vessel. We take you now live to the scene. Is this thing on? This is Walter Davis reporting for Pier 45 in San Francisco. Ladies and gentlemen, I am standing at the northern tip of Fisherman's Wharf. The Southern Pacific ferry boat is not quite a mile away from me now. I have a pair of military-issue field glasses, and they give me a very good view of the situation. I can just make out the name of the vessel now. Yes, it's the Thoroughfare. A large, white, double-decker side-wheel ferry boat clearly listing to the left. I guess that would be the port side of the ship. Yes, I can see the enormous paddle wheel. It's still churning the water, although it appears to be moving more slowly than is normal for these boats when they're underway. Definitely listing to the port. Uh, This is a large automobile ferry, ladies and gentlemen, transporting hundreds of passengers, automobiles, and team-drawn wagons. I can see smoke or steam emerging from the large central smokestack on top of the ship, and the uh, reciprocating arms of the massive engine are still trying to do their work. I guess they're hoping to right the ship. I can see quite a bit of activity on the upper deck as the officers and crew are assisting the passengers and equipping them with life belts in case the situation becomes any more serious. Uh, the ferry doesn't appear to have lifeboats, but it's equipped with life belts and rings for emergency situations such as this. A few smaller boats, they appear to be some of the local fishermen, are approaching the scene to offer assistance, and I can see them just off to the side. They have to be very careful, ladies and gentlemen, as this ferry boat is large and unstable. A Coast Guard patrol boat, the CG-243, is alongside the ferry now. It's not a large ship, maybe 75 feet in length. Uh, One of the patrol boats that used to fight off the bootleggers. The Coast Guardsmen appear to be moving up very close now to the thoroughfare. I expect they're going to try and help some of the passengers to transfer over to the CG-243. Oh, my, that's going to be tricky. Ladies and gentlemen, these ferry boats are usually quite safe, and seldom have we seen a need for such a dramatic rescue on the water. The crossing normally takes 30 minutes or so, and these boats operate all day long in San Francisco's famously cold weather. But the bay's 50-degree water makes the need for a swift rescue imperative. Uh, In the distance, off to my left, I can see the enormous towers of the Golden Gate Bridge now under construction. When it opens, along with the Oakland Bay Bridge that is also near completion, it will surely make any more dangerous boat crossings like this one a thing of the past. Uh, Yes, the passengers are moving very quickly now. I can see they are trying to climb over to the CG-243. The thoroughfare is definitely listing quite distinctly now and beginning to go down at the stern. This is rather alarming, ladies and gentlemen. Some of the men, uh, the male passengers, are simply leaping from the upper deck of the thoroughfare onto the cutter. 
The ferry's paddle wheel is turning more rapidly now, but it is lifted partly up out of the water, and it's throwing a tremendous... Uh, wait, wait! Wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. I can see there appears to be something happening with one of the small fishing boats nearby. Yes, they have fired up their engines and are moving very rapidly away from the scene now. One of the other fishing boats appears to be... Uh, just a moment. Can it be? Yes, it, it appears now also to be sinking. The men on deck are peering over the side. They, they seem to be jamming at something in the water with pike staffs they have on board. Y yes, they're moving very rapidly about the deck. The ship is clearly in distress. Ladies and gentlemen, this stretch of water is free from any submerged rocks or other obstacles, and boats of all sizes sail this route constantly. I, I don't know what could be causing the... I can't believe it, ladies and gentlemen, but the small fishing boat appears to be going down. The fishermen are rushing towards the highest part of the boat. The last of the other small fishing boats is speeding away from the scene now, uh, quite quickly, while the passengers on the thoroughfare are still trying to... Uh, oh, wait a minute, I, I, now, now I see something else. There's quite a crowd growing here on Fisherman's Wharf, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, please, be patient while I try to... Excuse me, would you mind stepping back, please? Yes, thank you. I'm just... I've got a better vantage point now, ladies and gentlemen, and I, I can't see the small fishing boat. Oh, my, it seems like it might have gone under. Yes, they're, they're splashing there, just in the water as the men are... Uh, ju ju just a moment, I see, well... Yes, they, they must be divers from the Coast Guard. Yes, Coast Guard frogmen in diving gear are emerging from the water under the thoroughfare. They must have been attempting some underwater repair, but it doesn't seem to have been effective because the thoroughfare is sinking rapidly at the stern. The passengers are desperately trying to get onto the CG-243. I can't imagine there will be room for all of them. They're, they're climbing towards the bow, trying to stay out of the frigid water. Oh, this is terrible, ladies and gentlemen. I... Oh, my. The automobiles on the lower deck are sliding down, crashing into one another. Oh, my lord, ladies and gentlemen, horses, yes, horses hitched to wagons on the ferry are panicking, and I can see one now. The, the creature is clearly broken free from something. He's he's dragging some pieces of... And there, there's another dragging pieces of wood behind him. Part of a... He's jumped into the water. Oh, my. Automobiles are now going overboard, and I can hear the passengers screaming as panic mounts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Coast Guard divers are beginning to climb aboard the thoroughfare, maybe to... Oh, wait a moment, please, uh, madam, please, step aside. Those aren't Coast Guard divers, they're something else. They're not helping the passengers, they, they appear to be attacking. Good Lord, ladies and gentlemen, it appears that the Coast Guard ship is now also in distress. The crewmen are moving on the deck. Oh, good heavens, they're arming themselves. They have rifles. Passengers are simply diving into the water now, desperate to escape the ship. Oh no, oh, this is terrible, ladies and gentlemen. The thoroughfare has now capsized. She is rolled over onto her starboard side and is quickly going under. The huge paddle wheel is still turning, churning the water and everything in it. There are strangely clad divers crawling over the thoroughfare and now onto the CG-243. I, I don't know who they are, ladies and gentlemen. They, they appear to be wearing strange goggles or... I guess they must be helmets of some kind with big windows for viewing, I suppose, and enormous flippers of fins on both feet and hands. Ladies and gentlemen, now the 243 appears to be sinking. It's... Ladies and gentlemen, we are picking up the distress radio transmission from the CG-243. We're switching live now to that transmission, direct from the pilot house of the afflicted Coast Guard ship. Mayday! 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 I repeat, we are under attack and require immediate assistance. Calm down, sailor. Who is this? Radio man, third class, Neil Gallagher aboard CG-243. We are under attack, requesting immediate assistance. The Mare Island Naval Shipyard is responding now. Help is on... Mare Island? 
You'll never make it in time. Where's your commander, son? I don't know, sir. Fighting them off. Fighting who off? I don't know that either, sir. They're animals of some kind. Animals? They've attacked a civilian ferry. We're going down. Please, you've got to... What do you mean, animals? They're not people. They put a hole in the boat with some kind of... I don't know what. Like acid jelly that burns and eats... Is that firing? Who's firing? We are, sir. Please, send... Dalligan, what's going on? What, what about your rescue? Oh, God, no. It burns. Ladies and gentlemen, we have lost the transmission from the CG-243, and we can only pray for their deliverance. I can see quite clearly from my vantage point here on Fisherman's Wharf that the ship is now sinking. The Southern Pacific ferryboat Thoroughfare is nearly under now. There are hundreds of hapless passengers in the freezing water. The fishing boats that came to their aid have been attacked or driven off, and the Coast Guard cutter is... Oh, my God, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. The crew of the Coast Guard cutter is actually firing on the ferry. They're firing at the very boat they were sent to rescue. Why? L ladies and gentlemen, oh, I can hardly bear to look at what I'm seeing. The U.S. Coast Guard ship is firing rifles into the water. The, the paddle wheel on the thoroughfare is on its side in the water now, chopping up. Oh, my God, it's, it's red. The 243, it's... The, the strange divers are... Uh, maybe the creatures crawling over the sinking hull. They, they have black... I, I can't make them out. N not bombs. Uh, there's no explosion, but they, they throw them and I, I can't... The 243 is going down now. The men still firing. The ferry passengers are caught in the crossfire. Oh, my word, ladies and gentlemen. This is terrible. The most awful thing I've... Oh, the humanity. The thoroughfare is gone. The screaming again. Ladies and gentlemen, we have lost contact with Walter Davis in San Francisco. While we work to restore that connection, we take you now to Raymond Rocalo and his orchestra in the Meridian Ballroom of New York's fabulous Park Plaza Hotel. This is a Worldwide Wireless News Special Bulletin. Nathan Reed speaking. A riot has broken out at Portsmouth Naval Prison in Maine. Authorities are attempting to put down violence at the high-security facility on Seavey's Island. Our crews are attempting a connection with... We return you now to Raymond Rocello and his orchestra, offering a program of dance music. Ah, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, now, for a tune that never loses favor, the popular Midnight, the Stars, and You. <laughs> We now take you to Portsmouth Navy Yard in Kittery, Maine. We will be joined by a special connection to Rear Admiral Gerald Brookstone, the commander of the yard. Admiral Brookstone, can you hear me? Yes, Mr. Reed, go ahead. Very good, thank you. As our listeners have heard, there is a terrible marine tragedy unfolding at this hour in San Francisco Bay. And now we've heard a report that there is a riot going on there at Seavey's Island in the Naval Prison. Can you confirm this report for our listeners? 
There has been a disturbance in the prison here, Mr. Reed, but we are currently in the process of restoring order. I'd also like to say our hearts go out to our Coast Guard brethren and those passengers in San Francisco. Of course, as do all of ours, I'm sure. The simultaneity of these events is certainly shocking, Admiral. Is there any reason to think they're connected? Certainly not. The disturbance here? Well, my men are on the lookout for a number of prisoners that took advantage of the confusion to make an escape from the eastern wing. They can't have gone far, and we're confident they'll soon be back in custody. Escaped? How many of the prisoners are currently unaccounted for, Admiral? Seven. I want to stress for your listeners, Mr. Reed, that this is an island. And we're certain these fugitives are still on the grounds. There is no danger to the public. I'm sure our listeners will be very glad to hear that. The other prisoners are all still inside. Yes. There is currently a fire burning in the M-block, but it will be soon under control. The prison is historically used to house Navy men, is it not? Primarily. Although there are other prisoners here as well, from time to time. Were they sailors who rioted today, Admiral? No, Mr. In fact, our naval inmates are helping to restore order. Then who were the prisoners that rioted? Uh, and the disturbance was started by a group of prisoners who were brought in during the federal raids on a coastal village in Massachusetts back in 1928. Massachusetts? Are you speaking of Innsmouth, Admiral Brookstone? I covered a series of raids there in 1928. It was a strange case. Um, yes. Innsmouth was the town. Grab the files on Innsmouth. Uh, and is it these Innsmouth prisoners who are currently unaccounted for? Uh, what's that? Have the Innsmouth prisoners escaped, Admiral? I, uh, I, I can't say, Mr. Reed. You, you, you must forgive me. Things are a little chaotic. <laughs> I understand. Admiral, if I recall correctly, the raids on Innsmouth involved Navy submarines firing torpedoes, and warehouses along the waterfront were dynamited. Reports at the time said it was all to do with liquor trafficking. Is that right? Um, uh, uh, yes, those were the reports. Firing torpedoes seems like an unusual step in a Volstead case. The Navy didn't usually take part in prohibition enforcement, did it? Uh, no, the raids were organized by the Treasury Department under Special Agent Jack McGraw. We were brought in to support that operation. Sir, the end of the file. Yes, I see. Yes, I see. Uh, our files here say that Agent McGraw was subsequently murdered. In the line of duty, yes. Admiral, why were bootleggers arrested in Massachusetts taken to a naval prison in Maine? Some of the prisoners came here, Mr. Reed, but not all. Why were the prisoners divided up? It's a federal matter. Our files show there were a number of civilian consultants who advised the government during the investigation of the Innsmouth case. There was a professor from Miskatonic University in Massachusetts, Nathaniel Ward. Did you know him? Professor Ward gave some very helpful testimony, yes. Did he recommend that the that, that some of the Innsmouth prisoners should be sent to a naval prison? Where's the Admiral? This way. Admiral, we've got news coming in from the Innsmouth. Admiral Brookstone, is everything all right? Uh, just a moment, Mr. Reed. It's important that we get I've just been handed a report by my incident commander. I'm afraid I'll have to step away from the microphone. Oh, of course, Admiral. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for those of you just joining us, the Southern Pacific ferry boat Thoroughfare and a U.S. Coast Guard patrol boat have both been attacked in San Francisco Bay. In Portsmouth Navy Yard, prisoners from Innsmouth, Massachusetts have rioted, and some remain unaccounted for. I have been speaking with Rear Admiral Gerald Brookstone, the prison's commander, who assures us that there is no connection between... Mr. Reed, excuse me. I've just been handed some information that I... 
We're beginning to suspect that the disturbance here was coordinated with someone working from the outside. Perhaps to facilitate the escape of the seven fugitives. Someone broke them out. Are they still on the loose? Yes. They may have concocted some scheme to get off the island. I've ordered naval patrol boats around the island to intercept and recapture them. All residents of Portsmouth and Newcastle and Kittery should be on the lookout. These escapees may be dangerous, and residents should stay in their homes with all doors and windows locked. That's a very serious warning indeed. Well, get them, Mr. Reed. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to return to my duties. Naturally, Admiral. Thank you for giving us so much of your time on this very alarming day. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Rear Admiral Gerald Brookstone. We have re-established contact with Walter Davis in San Francisco, and we take you there now for updates live from the scene of the ferry disaster. Ladies and gentlemen, a state of emergency has been declared here in San Francisco Bay. All civilian vessels have been ordered to return immediately to port. Anxious crowds at the Hyde Street Pier are being turned away. The city is cut off. Patrol boats from Mare Island and the Alameda Naval Station are now the only ones permitted on the water. We have arranged a special wireless connection to the USS Palos, a Navy gunboat out of Mare Island that has joined the effort to rescue survivors. I believe we have the Palos on the line with us now. Hello, Palos. Can you hear me? Hello. USS Palos, transmitting on 530 kilohertz. Come in, please. USS Palos, I hear you. This is Walter Davis speaking of Worldwide Wireless News. Uh, to whom am I speaking, please? Uh, this is Ensign Charles Asaza, radioman of the USS Palos. Ensign Asaza, thank you. Uh, you are currently aboard a U.S. Navy ship that is underway to the scene of the ferry disaster. Is that right? Yes, sir. We're arriving at the scene now. Ah, uh, yes, I can see the Palos from where I'm standing here at Pier 45. Uh, ladies and gentlemen listening at home, the Palos is a naval gunboat, I'd say easily twice the size of the CG-243. Uh, is that about right, Ensign? Yes, sir. The Palos is 165 feet, sir, with two six-pounder guns and six machine guns. Good heavens. And how many crewmen? Oh, normally 50. But we have a few extras with us today, sir. I'm sure we're glad to hear it. You are there on the water, Ensign. Tell us, do you see survivors? Sir, I'm, I'm sorry to report that both the ferry boat and the CG-243 have sunk completely. There's floating debris, life rings, but no one in them. No sign yet of survivors. It looks like oil, or something like it, is floating on the surface. Is there any indication what might have sunk the ships? Uh, no, sir. We... Mayday! 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 This is Alcatraz Island calling all ships in San Francisco Bay. We require immediate assistance. There is a breach in the wall. Repeat, a breach in the wall. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Captain, receiving a distress call from Alcatraz Island. Ensign, Ensign Asaza, what's the distress call? Tell them we're on our way. Ensign Asaza, can you hear me? USS Palos, come in, please. Ladies and gentlemen, we seem to have lost the Palos. As you've just heard, she is responding to an urgent mayday, or distress call, from Alcatraz Island. The island is not far away, and the Palos is the closest ship to it. Yes, I can see her now, turning about and headed for the island. I believe we heard something about a breach in a wall. For listeners who don't know, the federal prison on Alcatraz is used to house some of the nation's most difficult and dangerous criminals. The Palos is moving toward it. We, uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have arranged a special connection to Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts, where there may be some answers to the alarming events of the day. Stand by for Miskatonic. 
What the... Ladies and gentlemen, this is Nathan Reed speaking. Here on the line with me now is Professor Nathaniel Ward of Miskatonic University. I'll ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during any delay that may arise during our interview. We are carefully monitoring the situations both in San Francisco and Portsmouth and are receiving breaking news minute by minute. Professor Ward, are you ready? Any time, Mr. Reed. You are a professor of archaeology, isn't that right? Yes, and anthropology. And you are the author of a number of books and monographs on the subject of ancient cultures and folklore? Yes, that's right. Professor, seven years ago there was a series of federal raids on the Massachusetts town of Innsmouth. I remember them well. In fact, you served as a consultant to the government and testified before a grand jury investigating Innsmouth, did you not? Well, I did my best, Mr. Reed. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, you're familiar with Rear Admiral Gerald Brookstone? Yes, I met him during my testimony. We worked together on the Innsmouth matter. Well, we've just been speaking with Admiral Brookstone, and as you know, Professor, there are reports that some of the rioting and escaped prisoners there in Portsmouth were men rounded up during the raid on Innsmouth. Can you tell our listeners at home more about those prisoners and the conditions at Innsmouth that led to their arrest? My testimony to the grand jury is sealed, Mr. Reed, so there are a number of details I'm not at liberty to divulge. I'm sure our listeners will be grateful for any information you can provide. Well, uh, Innsmouth was a small fishing town which fell on some pretty hard times. It had long been cut off from its neighbors by some rather impassable marshland to the west, and it had a bad reputation for, well... I don't want to shock your listeners, Mr. Reed, so let's call it inbreeding. The government had an eye on the town ever since the days of the Civil War, and there had been occasional rumors of outsiders going to Innsmouth and never coming back. It was a pretty squalid place, but there were some families that seemed to have sources of wealth that were suspicious. More wealth than could be explained by fishing, certainly, and bootlegging was suspected. When the government received a tip from a young visitor who only barely managed to escape from the town with his life, Federal agents decided to go in. And what did they find, Professor? Well, I can tell you it was worse than anyone expected. There was criminal activity, and the population was pretty far gone. And if I may ask, Professor, why would the government call in an archaeologist on a federal criminal investigation? Ah, yes. Uh, one of the town's most prominent families had long been engaged in South Pacific trade and had brought back and established a kind of cult known as the Esoteric Order of Dagon, with elements of ancient Polynesian religion. This cult had a strong hold over the local citizenry, and I was asked to shed some light on it. I see. And the family in question, was this the Marsh family? I seem to recall the name of a prominent Baldwin Marsh or Balthazar. It was Barnabas. Yes, Barnabas Marsh was the most powerful man in Innsmouth. And was this Barnabas Marsh arrested during the Innsmouth raid? There, I'm afraid I can't help you. Were other members of the Marsh family arrested? Again, Mr. Reed, I can't say. I understand. What I can tell you is Excuse that... Excuse me, Professor, but I have just been handed a bulletin with a special breaking report. Ladies and gentlemen, in yet another disturbing marine occurrence on this very disturbing day, we are told that a U.S. Navy cruiser in the South Pacific is, at this moment, investigating an unconfirmed report of a previously unknown island. We are now arranging a wireless connection with the ship on the scene. Uh, please pardon the interruption, Professor. While we wait for that connection to be made, would you mind answering a few more questions? Where did you say this unknown island was located, Mr. Reed? Uh, my information is that it's somewhere in the South Pacific Ocean, Professor. Oh, I'd like very much to stay on the line with you, if I may. Certainly. 
Now, about the Marsh family, Professor. Was it your... Yes, uh, about that, Mr. Reed. I don't want you to think that... Oh, excuse me again, Professor. We now have our special connection, and we take you now, ladies and gentlemen, to the USS Raleigh, Captain Richard Craig commanding. Raleigh, we're standing by. Please come in. USS Raleigh... This is the USS Raleigh. Come in. Hello, this is Nathan Reed of Worldwide Wireless News. Am I speaking with Captain Craig? This is Captain Craig of the USS Raleigh. Captain Craig, thank you. Yes, we can hear you. Thank you for joining us. The Raleigh is an Omaha class cruiser, isn't that right? That's Captain Craig? That's affirmative. And for the benefit of our audience listening at home, Captain, can you tell us what that means? What it means? Yes, can you describe the ship? She's a warship of the United States Navy. She's well manned and heavily armed. Very impressive. That's what it means. Yes, thank you, Captain. Uh, Tell me, how large is the Raleigh's crew? I have 458 officers and enlisted men aboard. Plus one. Oh, plus one? Who is the... A few hours ago, my lookout saw a small boat adrift. Lifeboat. We picked up its occupant. We have him in our sick bay now. Uh, Captain Craig, where did you find this man? Professor Ward... Who is this? Are we picking up another signal? If I may... Which frequency is that newsman on? Damn it! Captain, yes, it's Nathan Reed. Uh, this is Nathaniel Ward, Captain. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Reed, I don't mean to barge in, but... I have Professor Nathaniel Ward on the line with us, Captain. We've been talking about... I'm a colleague of Admiral Brookstone's, Captain. A colleague? Can you tell... Admiral Brookstone? Yes. Uh, can you tell me where you picked up this survivor? We're in the South Pacific, approximately 1,800 miles east of Santiago. That's about 35 degrees south? Just about. And about 105 degrees west. Oh, dear. Uh, Captain Craig, we've heard a report of an unknown island. Have you seen such an island? Are you the newsman? Yes, Captain. Have you sighted an unknown island? No. The castaway we picked up claims he was stranded on an island for the last several days. We know these waters. There's no such island here. The closest island is... This survivor, sir. Has he been identified? Who is he? An Englishman. Says his name is Clark Holloway. He was a supercargo on a... British package freighter that sank RMS Batavia. A packet freighter? That's a commercial cargo ship. Last heard from more than a week ago. He says she went down with all hands. Says he's the only survivor. Did he say what caused her to sink? This man's delirious from exposure. He's been adrift for days. It's a wonder he survived. He's not making a lot of sense. Our ship's surgeon's looking after him. I see. And are you... What was that? Are you searching... Patrolling the area for any traces of the Batavia or other survivors. And what about the mysterious island? Are you also looking for that? Sir, this is one of the most open, least frequented parts of the Pacific. There is nothing here. Certainly nothing as large as he described. He's delirious. How did he describe it, Captain? Can you tell us? He says it took him days to cross it. Says he encountered some kind of giant monolith with carvings. A monolith? He said that... Who's that? Professor. What kind of monolith? This is very important. What did he say? He didn't make any sense. No, 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 no. C- can you bring Holloway to the microphone, please, Captain? We've got to find out what he saw. No good. Our doctor sedated him. I'm sure he'd make even less sense now. Captain Craig, as I'm sure you're aware, there is currently a naval crisis going on. A passenger... We're receiving dispatches. Captain, I'm afraid... I think it may all be related. It's extremely important that we hear exactly what Mr. Holloway has to say. Before more lives are lost, Captain, can you bring Mr. Holloway to the microphone? We won't have a better opportunity. The man's barely conscious, Professor. Why do you Captain, please. I'm certain that Admiral Brookstone would approve the request. Uh, Mr. Reed, can you patch the Admiral in? Oh, Professor, I... Brookstone! There's no need to contact Brookstone. 
And Sarah, where are Go inform Dr. Chapman that I want Holloway brought up here to the radio room at once. All right, I've sent for him. I still don't get what you think we're going to learn about... Thank you, Captain. Perhaps a private radio channel would be more appropriate until the... My radio room is carefully monitoring the wireless traffic and conducting a search for the Batavia professor. I'm afraid this channel will have to do. I see. Uh, uh, Mr. Reed, I don't suppose that worldwide wireless news could let us... Professor, we can't convert our airwaves to private use. Radio broadcast is a sacred trust, and our listeners at home need to hear news they can trust in this time of crisis. Very well. Well, this should be interesting. Alert Pacific Command, and see if you can patch me through to the atmosphere. Ladies and gentlemen listening at home, this is Nathan Reed bringing you a live report from the USS Raleigh, a Navy cruiser in the South Pacific Ocean under the command of Captain Richard Craig. On the line with me is Professor Nathaniel Ward of Miskatonic University, and in moments we expect to be talking to Mr. Clark Holloway, the sole survivor of the RMS Batavia. Professor Ward, you said you think Mr. Holloway may have witnessed something related to the ferry disaster in San Francisco and the disturbances at Portsmouth and Alcatraz. Is that correct? Yes, Mr. Reed. How is that possible, Professor? What could you learn from a man the captain says is delirious? Well, it's not easy to explain this. If the island he described is... Captain, I have to tell you that I think... Your objection is noted, Dr. Chapman. This professor says... Captain, I have the Admiral for you on the secure band. Thank you. Hello, Dr. Chapman, was it? Can you hear me? This is Nathan Reed speaking. Professor? Dr. Chapman? Yes, this is Dr. Chapman uh, of the Raleigh. Dr. Chapman, on the line with me now is Professor Nathaniel Ward, and he would very much like to speak to your patient, Mr. Holloway. Would that be all right? Sir, my patient is suffering from dehydration and exhaustion, and he... uh, Is he there, Doctor? Can he speak into the microphone? He's here, but... It's all right, Doctor. Let him proceed. But, Captain... Give him the microphone, Doctor. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Holloway? Uh, may I, Mr. Reed? Go ahead, Professor. Mr. Holloway, can you hear me? Hello? Is someone there? Mr. Holloway, my name is Nathaniel Ward. I'd like to ask you some questions about the island you encountered. Uh, could we... I'm not mad. They all think I am, but I'm not. Uh, no, Mr. Holloway. What you have to say is potentially very important. Uh, Tell me everything you remember. Can you do that? Oh, I remember it all. My ship was making its way to Wellington when it was swallowed by the fiercest storm I have ever experienced. When was this? Weeks ago. The cargo was lost and we had to abandon ship. Lost. All of them lost. I managed to escape alone in a small boat with water and provisions. Uh, How did you survive the storm? I don't know. I finally found myself adrift with little idea of my surroundings. No island or coastline was in sight. I began to despair, alone for days in the heaving, unbroken blue. Of course. Uh, What happened next? The change happened whilst I slept. Change? What happened? When I awake, it was to discover myself half-sucked into a slimy expanse of hellish black mire which extended about me as far as I could see, and in which my boat lay grounded some distance away. Your boat had run aground? The region was putrid with carcasses of decaying fish, and of other less describable things which I saw protruding from the mud. What could you see on this island? There was nothing in sight, save a vast reach of undulating black slime, and the stillness and the sameness of the landscape oppressed me with a nauseating fear. 
I realized that only one theory could explain my position. Through some volcanic upheaval, a portion of the ocean floor must have been thrown to the surface, exposing regions which for millions of years had lain hidden. So great was the extent of the new land which had risen beneath me that I could not detect the faintest noise of the surging ocean. An island that big, Professor! Uh, please, Captain, let Mr. Holloway continue. I made for myself a pack containing food and water so that I could search for possible rescue. All day I forged steadily westward, guided by a faraway hummock which rose higher than any other elevation on the rolling desert. That night I encamped and on the following day still traveled toward the hummock. By that evening I reached the base of the mound. Too weary to ascend, I slept in the shadow of the hill. I don't know why my dreams were so wild that night. But I was soon awake in a cold sweat, determined to sleep no more. So what did you do? I started for the crest of the hill. The unbroken monotony of the rolling plain had been a source of vague horror to me. But I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down the other side into an immeasurable pit or canyon. I felt myself on the edge of the world, peering over the rim into a fathomless chaos of eternal night. Oh no. As the moon climbed higher in the sky, I began to see the slopes of the valley were not quite so perpendicular as I had imagined. Urged on by an impulse which I still do not understand, I scrambled down the rocks and stood on the gentler slope beneath. And what did you see there, Mr. Holloway? A vast and singular object on the opposite slope which rose steeply about a hundred yards ahead of me. An object that gleamed whitely in the rays of the ascending moon. It was merely a gigantic piece of stone, surrounded by a lapping pool of water, but I was conscious of a distinct impression that its contour and position were not altogether the work of nature. What was it? A monolith, whose massive bulk had known the workmanship and perhaps the worship of living and thinking creatures. It had carvings, didn't it? Oh my, yes. Both inscriptions and crude sculptures. The writing was a system of hieroglyphics unknown to me and unlike anything I had ever seen in books. The sculptures. Tell me what they looked like. Many were recognizable as sea creatures of various kinds. But several characters obviously represented marine things which were unknown to the modern world. But whose decomposing forms I had observed on the ocean-risen plain. But that's not what held me spellbound. What do you mean? Plainly visible across the intervening water on account of their enormous size were an array of figures in bas-relief. Oh no. These figures, they were... I think they were supposed to depict men. At least a certain sort of men. Though the creatures were shown disporting like fishes in the waters of some marine grotto or paying homage at some monolithic shrine which appeared to be under the waves as well. Their forms. Their faces. Were they slightly human in general outline, but with webbed hands and feet, wide, flabby lips, and bulging eyes? You've seen them for yourself. This is important, Mr. Holloway. Was there anything else? One of the creatures was shown in the act of killing a whale, represented as but little larger than himself. Their grotesqueness and strange size troubled me. But I decided that they were merely the imaginary gods of some primitive fishing or seafaring tribe. Some tribe whose last descendant had perished eras before the first ancestor of Neanderthal man was born. Uh, Am I right? Something like that. That's enough of this nonsense. Then, suddenly I saw it. With only a slight churning to mark its rise to the surface, the thing slid into view above the dark waters. What thing? 
vast, polyphemus-like and loathsome, it darted like a stupendous monster of nightmares to the monolith, about which it flung its gigantic scaly arms while it bowed its hideous head and gave vent to certain measured sounds. I think I went mad then. Mr. Holloway, it was just a dream. You'd been days in that boat. Under the sun. No food, no... Ah, the good doctor here assures me it was pure fantasy, a mere freak of fever. But I cannot think of the deep sea without shuddering at the nameless things that may, at this very moment, be crawling and floundering on its slimy bed, worshipping their ancient stone idols and carving their own detestable likeness on submarine obelisks of water-soaked granite. I dream of a day when they may rise above the billows to drag down in their reeking talons the remnants of puny mankind. Of a day when the land shall sink and the dark ocean floor shall ascend amidst universal pandemonium. I understand. Thank you, Mr. Holloway. All right, enough of that. Come with me, Mr. Holloway. Get him out of here. It wasn't just a dream. Captain, you picked him up adrift in his boat, didn't you? Yes, that's right. Does Holloway have any memory of how he got off the island? None. Captain, Professor, please excuse me. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed an emergency bulletin coming over the wires. Ships between Brisbane and New Caledonia are under attack from underwater forces. Worldwide Wireless News has a special connection now to a live feed coming out of Australia. We take you now to Brisbane. Everyone, please stand by. Have we got- In the harbour are under attack from a previously unknown form of sea animal. Witnesses describe them as being as large as men, but like fish or frogs in appearance, and attacking in great numbers from under the water. Two ships are now sinking. There are other reports from Numea, unconfirmed at this time, of another type of strange creature described as being large and black. Possibly some unknown species of octopus or jellyfish bobbing to the surface with multiple arms of some kind. They appear to be venomous, and it is reported that swimmers who came into contact with them were badly burned. Again, this is David Merlin with a special report from the Australian Broadcasting Commission in Brisbane. The Admiralty is advising all ships between Moreton Bay and New Caledonia to... We interrupt this live feed from Australia, ladies and gentlemen, for breaking news on our own shores. Rejoining me now is Rear Admiral Gerald Brookstone, commander of Portsmouth Navy Yard in Maine. I understand you have some good news, Admiral? Mr. Reed, I wanted to let your listeners know that the disturbance here at Portsmouth has now been completely contained. And our prison is once again secure. Oh, that's wonderful to hear on such a day of terror and tragedy. And are the fugitives back in custody? Two of them are. Uh, We're conducting a search for the others. I see. And are you still confident that they are on Seavey's Island, Admiral? It is possible that they have made it off the island by boat. Navy ships are still very actively patrolling the waters, and I'm sure we'll catch these miscreants. And what about the fire that was reported in cell block M? The fire is out. Tragically, 22 prisoners were killed by the blaze before it was brought under control, with a dozen or more suffering from... Smoke and burn. That's terrible, Admiral. Uh, were these the Innsmouth prisoners who started the riot? Well, it would be imprudent for me to... Oh, excuse me, Admiral, I'm terribly sorry, but we're receiving a radio transmission from a Navy patrol ship there in Portsmouth. Switching over now to that live signal. Job up right, over. Sailor, say again. Repeat, this is Petty Officer Hobbs on the USS Hermitage. Five persons matching the description of the escapees seen climbing aboard a fishing trawler 
called the Java Bride. Over. Copy, Hermitage. Permission to pursue. Granted. Go get them, Hermitage. Ladies and gentlemen, it seems that the escaped prisoners from Portsmouth Naval Prison have indeed been spotted, and a Navy patrol boat is now in pursuit. Admiral Brookstone, are you still with us? Yes, Mr. Reed. The Hermitage is one of your boats, is it not? Yes, she's a riverine patrol boat. She's been searching the Piscataqua River since the prisoners escaped. Hermitage, report. We're underway. They pushed off from Clark's Island and headed out to sea. They're running. Is it all of them? I see Hollister and Weymouth... And that must be Dolores. They're moving fast. Dolores? Any sign of the others? I haven't seen. Wait, yes. Both of them. And there's someone. Hold on. Admiral Brookstone, did he just say Dolores? Are these escaping prisoners women? Well, Mr. Reed, I suppose at this point I can confirm that the escaped prisoners are indeed members of the Marsh family. Hollister and Weymouth Marsh and their sisters, Bismillah, Hecate, and Dolores. That's a surprising revelation, Admiral. And they've... Oh, Java Bride! This is the USF Hermitage! Cut your engines at once and prepare to be boarded! Ladies and gentlemen, as you're hearing, the naval patrol boat Hermitage is currently engaged in a pursuit of Innsmouth prisoners escaped from the Portsmouth Naval Prison. Admiral, have these Marsh siblings been in your prison since 1928? Yes, they have. And would they be the children of Barnabas Marsh? That's our understanding. There's gunfire! Hermitage, report! They're firing at us! Return fire, Hermitage! Prisoners are armed and dangerous! Ladies and gentlemen, this is... Throw a job of pride! Throw down your weapons and cut your engines! This is the USS Hermitage of the United States Navy, and we will fire on you! Fire! Hermitage, report! Come in, Hermitage! I, I think they're hit, sir! We are in pursuit! Ladies and gentlemen, an incredible chase, as you've heard, in the Piscataqua River south of Seavey's Island, Maine. We seem to have lost the transmission from the Hermitage, which was under fire from escaped prisoners Hollister and Weymouth Marsh, and, incredibly, their sisters Bismillah, Hecate, and Dolores, who, until their escape today, had been inmates at Portsmouth Naval Prison. Admiral Brookstone, are you still with us? Admiral Brookstone? Ladies and gentlemen, it seems that we have also lost contact with Admiral Brookstone, who has no doubt many other things to attend to at this moment. We will do our very best to get him back on the line at the earliest possible opportunity. Well, uh, sir, read this. The crew really? Uh, we now... Yes, uh, we, we have word more events are unfolding on the West Coast. We take you now back to San Francisco Bay as the days... Uh, stand by, stand by, please. Stand by, please, for San Francisco. This is Bert Phillips reporting for Worldwide Wireless News from the east side of San Francisco Bay. An explosion occurred a few minutes ago near the Oakland waterfront. I'm standing near the foot of the eastern span of the Bay Bridge currently under construction, and I can clearly see smoke and flames rising from the location of the blast, less than a mile to the south and east. In light of today's terrible events, police are here in force guarding the bridge, but a squad has been dispatched to the waterfront to investigate this explosion. We've heard reports that a warehouse there has been raided by the police, although there's no word yet on what, if anything, they've found. 
Likewise, the relation of this explosion to the terrifying events on the water earlier today is unknown. But this is Nathan Reed in Boston. Tell me, can you see Alcatraz from your position? Yes, Nathan. From my vantage point here at the foot of the bridge, I can see to the west beyond Yerba Buena that there are flames also on Alcatraz Island. It's two to three miles out in the bay from here. I'm looking through my field glasses, but it's impossible to see anything clearly through the smoke and haze. Perhaps you can hear, ladies and gentlemen, the scattered gunfire coming from that direction. You can see strange dark shapes that seem to be moving over the surface of the island. They're large, indistinct. They seem to change shape and could almost be shadows. Yes, I see one now that appears to be climbing the steep side of the island from the water up to the parade ground, and another, yes, climbing up the wall of the citadel itself. Smoke is billowing up from a fire inside the prison. From here, it could be either the industries building or the cell house itself, and Navy and Coast Guard ships are circling the island in both directions. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have re-established contact with the USS Palos, which appears to be docking at Alcatraz at this moment. Come in, please. This is the USS Palos transmitting at 530 kilohertz. USS Palos, we hear you. This is Bert Phillips speaking. Worldwide wireless news in Oakland. Am I speaking to Ensign Isaza? This is Isaza, yes, sir. Thank you, Ensign, for rejoining us. I can see the Palos at the dock of the north side of Alcatraz. The island appears to be under siege. Why is the Palos landing there? Sir, we are responding to a radio request. Warden James Johnson and his executive staff have been taken hostage in their offices in the cell house. Their families are in danger. We are... Families? Sir, yes, families. There are 47 families of guards and staff living on the island, including 112 women and children. We are here to protect them. Protect them from whom, Ensign? Who is attacking Alcatraz? Radicals, sir. They say agitators inside the prison with help from some outside amphibious force. I I've been ordered to bring portable radio gear ashore so they can make some kind of statement. Ensign, that's incredible. Isaza! Sir, the island's telephone switchboard was destroyed in the attack, and their own radio equipment has been damaged. Their request for assistance was the last... Isaza, we're ready. Get moving. Uh, aye, aye, sir. Homestead is waiting at the sally port. Uh, yes, sir. Good luck, Ensign, and thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as you've just heard, Ensign Charles Isaza of the USS Palos is about to go ashore on Alcatraz, where we may finally hear from the radicals who have attacked the island and find out what it is they want. Alcatraz was turned over to the Federal Bureau of Prisons just over a year ago and now houses the nation's most hardened and incorrigible convicts. Some of the prisoners are holdovers from its earlier days as a military prison. The island is also home, as you've just heard, to staff and guards and their innocent families who are caught up in this terrifying ordeal will be standing by to bring you... Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt Bert Phillips in Oakland to bring you wire reports of additional attacks happening worldwide. There are reports of mysterious creatures attacking ships at Valparaiso, Chile at this hour. Strange black shapes have been spotted in the harbor of Stockholm. Amphibious mermen in Manila Bay have brought maritime traffic in the Philippines to a standstill. The Japanese emperor has declared a state of emergency following attacks in Yokohama and Kagoshima. Alexandria 
Egypt, Brisbane, and Sydney paralyzed. No nation seems exempt. The world is at war. It appears to be an uprising, an assault, or invasion from beneath the very ocean itself. All coastal areas and all ships at sea would seem to be at risk of attack from the deeps. Here at home, terrified populations in Boston, New York, Atlantic City, and Newport News, Charleston, Savannah, Mobile, New Orleans, and on the West Coast in San Diego, Los Angeles, Seattle... City people are all moving inland, creating massive traffic jams of panicked crowds. The Cunard, Admiral, and Hamburg America lines have ordered all their passenger liners to their nearest ports immediately. P- Professor Nathaniel Ward, are you on the line? Professor? Yes, Mr. Reed, I'm here. Professor, uh, you have been consulting with your colleagues in academia and your contacts in the military. What does it all mean, Professor Ward? I'm afraid it's a... Uh... USS Raleigh, transmitting at 530 kilohertz. Come in, please. Ladies and gentlemen, we are picking up a new transmission from the USS Raleigh in the South Pacific. Professor Ward, can you please stay on the line? Yes, of course. USS Raleigh, this is Nathan Reed speaking. We hear you. Please come in. Mr. Reed, I'm receiving you. This is Captain Craig of the USS Raleigh. You can tell your professor that he was right. Hello, Captain Craig. You can tell him yourself. He's on the line with us now. Maybe he can explain what I'm seeing. Uh, what exactly are you seeing, Captain? It's an island. It's not on the charts, and we've never seen it before in these waters. I guess Mr. Holloway here wasn't just hallucinating. If it's any consolation, Captain, I hate being right. I was hoping as much as anyone that you wouldn't find anything. Uh, can you describe it? It's low, and it's flat, but it's damn big. From a distance, it's just a dark line at the horizon that we almost missed. But up close, it's damn near what Holloway said in general. Black, bizarre, deserted. The shore is slimy and covered with dead fish. God, I can smell it from here. It appears reasonably dry further inland. No signs of vegetation. I'd say Holloway pegged it. Something heaved up from the bottom by volcanic activity. Any sign of Holloway's monolith, Captain? We're scanning for it now. There's a kind of haze or low cloud cover over the island that I... Yes, Professor, I believe I can see something rising up in the interior of the island. Either it's short, or it's in some kind of depression or canyon, like he said. I can't make out the carvings Holloway described, but... U.S. Navy ship CL-7, turn back. You are in imminent danger. Reverse course and do not approach the island. Acknowledge. Captain Craig, who is... Who the hell is that? Ensign. I don't know, sir. What's happening, Captain? U.S. Navy ship CL-7, reverse course. Do not approach the island. You are in immediate danger. Is this coming from your end, Reed? No, sir. Sir, dead ahead, sir. Where, sailor? In the clouds, sir. There's an airship emerging from the clouds. An airship? Did he say an airship? General Quarters, Ensign, prepare for action. Sir, yes, sir. All hands to General Quarters. Unidentified airship approaching. Dead ahead. All gunners to their safety. Some friendly advice. Ladies and gentlemen, an airship has just appeared in the sky over the USS Raleigh, and we are... Captain Craig, this is Professor Ward. Can you describe the airship to me? I'm a little busy. Captain, it might be a friendly. It's an airship. It looks like the old O-1 we used to fly back in the 20s. Can you make out the tail number? Ensign, hail that ship. I'm looking. Hailing. Yes, sir. This is the USS Raleigh, Charlie, Lima, 7, hailing the unidentified airship above us. Come in. The tail number is Niagara X-Ray 367 Tango. Airship Niagara X-Ray. Captain, it's all right. It's one of ours. It's Charlie Tower. What? Charlie Tower? Millionaire explorer Charlie Tower? The one and only. You're sure it's a civilian vessel? This is the Mercury, airship NX367T responding. Hello, gentlemen. Charlie Tower here. 
I didn't mean to alarm you, but I repeat, reverse course and do not approach the island. Exit. Stand down from general quarters. Remain on alert. Sir, setting down from general quarters. All hands, stand down from general quarters. Airship is one of ours. Hold fire. Uh, can Tower hear me through this thing? Uh, no, Professor. He's on a different frequency. Uh, can one of you patch me through to him directly? USS Raleigh, I can. We can. You fellows hear me? Ensign, Please patch the Mercury into this frequency so we can all hear each other. Aye, aye, sir. Mercury, stand by. Patching you through on 530 kilohertz to Captain Richard Cray, commander. Excellent. Thanks. Captain, the Mercury. Mercury? This is Captain Richard Cray of the USS Raleigh. What in the hell is going on? You nearly got yourself shot down. Hello, Captain. Thanks very much for not shooting first. This is Charlie Tower flying in a private civilian ship. I've been tracking a U-boat, probably German, headed for this location. You don't want to be here when it arrives. A German U-boat? That's impossible. The Krauts don't have any U-boats anymore. We fought a war about it, remember? The Treaty of Versailles? That's as may be, Captain, but I've definitely been tracking something big under the water, and whatever it is, it's heading here. Again, I strongly advise you to reverse course. Charlie, can you hear me? It's Nate. Nate? You old so-and-so. Where are you? You're not on that ship, are you? Oh, no, God, no. I'm broadcasting from Arkham. Uh, Mr. Reed here has been kind enough to keep me on the line. You've been following the news today? I've caught some of it. Been busy. I gather we're in a tight spot. You could say. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now on the line is Mr. Charlie Tower, famous American millionaire explorer, adventurer, and collector of rare antiquities. Mr. Tower, this is Nathan Reed speaking, Worldwide Wireless News. Do you mind if I ask a few questions for the benefit of our listeners at home? I don't know if benefit is the right word, Mr. Reed, but I'll do my best to answer. You are flying in an airship over the middle of the South Pacific Ocean, is that correct? Yes, that's right. I call it Mercury on the Air. Is it your personal airship? Oh, you know me. I thought it would be fun. I bought it in Italy. Since I remodeled the gondola, it's quite nice. It's no Graf Zeppelin, but she's well stocked with champagne all the same. Why is your ship here, Tower? Is that Captain Craig? Yeah. Well, Captain, when you want to be in the middle of the ocean, but you don't actually want to be in the water, an airship is the only way to go. Must be nice. You knew this island was here? I had my suspicions that it would turn up. Charlie, there have been attacks worldwide. They're still going on. Is there anything we can do? What the hell are you two talking about? It's not too late to open fire on that airship tower. Captain, my apologies. Nate and I go way back, and sometimes we just speak shorthand to each other. We have some mutual friends in Sweden and Denmark, scholars of the occult and ancient cultures. I've been working with them for the better part of the last six months. Do you by any chance recall the ship Copenhagen, a Danish training ship? Yes. Part of some kind of disaster. Yes. A five-masted training bark that vanished without a trace in 1928, taking 26 crew and 45 cadets with it. Left Buenos Aires for Australia one day and was never heard from again. Right. So? Well, ever since then, our friends in Scandinavia have been looking into the causes of that disappearance. That was about the same time as the raids on Innsmouth, Captain. You're saying they were connected? If you've spoken to Admiral Brookstone, Captain, you'll know that the interrogation of the Innsmouth prisoners turned up some... issues of concern. I always understood that information was held on a need-to-know basis. Some of us had fears that this day was coming, Captain, but no one dreamed it would be quite this bad. Almost no one. Oh, right, the Germans. The Germans? What do they have to do with this? There's an occult society in Germany, Captain, that has been studying certain aspects of ocean lore ever since the Great War. 
One of their U-boats that went down in the Atlantic, the U-29, the captain of that boat, Altberg Ehrenstein was his name, left behind some kind of testimonial, a kind of message in a bottle, I suppose, describing what happened to his crew and some mysterious ruins he found at the bottom of the sea. The crazy crowd put on a diving suit and stepped out of his disabled boat to investigate them personally in the end. You've seen this document? No, not personally. But I have my Scandinavian boys follow the occult scene, and they tell me that the Reich has gotten its hands on it somehow. You may have heard of the Ananerba. What's that? The Cultural Institute of the Nazi Party, trying to prove the Aryans are some super race. They've become very involved in, well, let's say some very dark connections to the occult. And they keep an eye open for this kind of thing. There's even a rumor that Altberg Ehrenstein managed to survive or send some subsequent message anyhow. Yes, well, based on the U-29 account, the disappearance of the Copenhagen, the information coming out of Innsmouth and certain other books and calculations, our Scandinavian friends predicted that this island might appear at about this spot. Since I have my own airship, I thought I might keep an eye on things without troubling the Navy. I don't know what the Reich's interest is in this little island, but when German occultists are involved, you can never be too careful. I have a few things on board that might help. Charlie, you didn't bring the stones, did you? No, nay, they're still safely locked away. Besides, it sounds like we have enough deep ones to deal with as it is. Deep ones? What a... He's coming! All the way! He's coming! Stop him! Captain, we're pitching! That hand! The window! The window! Raleigh, get out! He has arisen! Stream that man! Captain! We're assaulting a relief us. All hands to the battle station. Doctor, control your face. Captain Craig, what's happening? Battle. Charlie, battle. what is it? This is not a drill. Jesus Christ! A giant head has just grabbed the starboard rail. It's some kind of creature. It's gigantic. Captain, the force is under. Hanson, all hands to fire at will. My eyes. Here he comes, my lord. Stop him before he... Ladies and gentlemen, the USS Raleigh is under attack by some kind of giant ocean creature. It has apparently grabbed the ship with some kind of giant hand and is pulling it under... Charlie, what's going on? It's huge. He's headed for the island. I don't think he's really after the Can you destroy the monolith? Take it out. Raleigh, this is power. Fire at the monolith. Forget the creature. Fire on the monolith. Captain, get ready to... It's a battle at sea, ladies and gentlemen. The USS Raleigh alone against a monstrous force from the deep. Charlie! Captain Craig, get out of there! What was that? Was that us? Uh, I don't think so, sir. That was a torpedo. Someone is firing. Who's firing? A torpedo? He's crawling ashore. Nick, he must be 60 feet. Captain, off the port bow. What is it now? There's a U-boat servicing off the port bow. What? 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 Mother of God, sir. It's a German U-boat. They're firing at the island. What? Ensign, target that monolith with the six-inch guns and fire at will. Aye, sir. Get me Pacific Command. The Germans have a goddamn U-boat! Right away, sir. If the Nazis have one U-boat, you can bet your bottom Deutschmark they're rebuilding the fleet. I tried to warn you. Ladies and gentlemen, it appears that a German U-boat, yes, a German U-boat, has just surfaced beside the USS Raleigh and is engaging the creature on the island. The German Navy was stripped of all U-boats by the terms of the Treaty of... Americanische 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's definitely a German U-boat in direct violation of treaty and some undersea monstrosity. It's simply unbelievable. I fear we may be losing our connection with the Raleigh. They are under fire and we... Nate, if you can hear me, I'm going to drop swastika stones. Wolf Lundgren helped me make some up. We know from Innsmouth that swastikas are what drove them off originally. Like the summoning stones, but in reverse. The Tahitians knew what they were doing. Obed Marsh knew the secret, but he kept it close. Uh, Charlie, you're, you're breaking up. Say again. Fire! Load the torpedo tube! Deploying swastikas! Call Wolf! He can explain it! Captain! The creature is turning on the U-boat! Don't worry about me, Nate! I think it's working! Nate! on going after the crowd! Captain Craig, what's happening? Ensign, fire! Ladies and gentlemen, we have temporarily lost our remote signal. While we work to restore it, we are taking you now to a program of dance music from Raymond Rokelo and his orchestra in the Meridian Ballroom. Ladies and gentlemen, we have not yet been able to restore contact with the USS Raleigh or with the Mercury in the air, but our engineers are hard at work. We all fervently pray for their safety on this global day of fear and catastrophe. I'm informed that we have re-established a connection to the USS Hermitage in Seward's Cove, Maine, near the mouth of the Piscataqua River, where the Navy has disabled the trawler Java Bride with its escaped convicts. We take you now to the Hermitage. The Java Bride. We hit her engine square on. She's not going anywhere else. Her engine's smoking up a storm. Copy that, Hermitage. Good job. Any sign of the fugitives? I think they're hit. It's quiet. They may be injured or something. Proceed with caution and get them back in custody. Roger that. Our men going in now. Ladies and gentlemen, the brave men of the Hermitage have caught up with the Marsh siblings who escaped earlier today in the riot at Portsmouth Naval Prison. They were among those arrested at Innsmouth in 1928, and as Professor Ward suggested not long ago, may be connected somehow to the worldwide marine tragedies we've seen today. Professor Ward is at this moment... Portsmouth, come in. We are under fire. Return fire at your discretion, Hermitage. The Marshes are not going down without a fight, ladies and gentlemen. Hollister and Weymouth Marsh, fearsome men, according to prison rolls, both in their forties. You can hear the gunfire. Plus, their three sisters, seldom seen around Innsmouth prior to the raids, we understand. And, of course, their incarceration in Portsmouth was completely unknown to the public. Federal agents handled secret indictments. Hermitage, report! Ladies and gentlemen, these desperate convicts are... We got them, Portsmouth. Our men are bringing them back in irons. All of them? Yes, sir. I see all five. And there's one more. I don't know who that is, sir, but he's... Sir, they stopped. Yeah. He's got a gun. Hollister, sir. He's grabbed a gun and... Hey, um, the photographer's got the gun now. Oh, Surrender. To the deep. Sir, they jumped into the water. They're swimming away. They're so fast. I've never seen anything like it. Stop them. Sir, our rifles are 
useless firing into the water. You have depth charges, don't you? Sir, yes, sir. Use them. Fire depth charges. Ladies and gentlemen, the marshes are making one last desperate bid for freedom, attempting to swim away from their crippled boat. The Navy men are preparing one more gambit. They're going to deploy... Report. Do you have them? Ladies and gentlemen, we're waiting to hear if the Innsmouth, the fugitive Marsh siblings have been... Hermitage, do you have them? We have one woman, sir. She's dead. Which one? I think it's Dolores, sir. Man, is she one ugly broad. What about the rest of them? We have a part of one more. It doesn't look like one of the marshes, sir. It looks human. Hollister, Weymouth, the others? We'll see what floats up, sir. There's no way they could have survived that depth charge. Roger. Keep looking, just in case. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have word that the USS Palos has made contact with the radicals who have taken over the prison at Alcatraz, and they are about to transmit their message. We take you now back to Alcatraz Island. This is Ensign Charles Isaza of the USS Palos. I am standing near the Sally Port of Alcatraz Penitentiary where I've been ordered to hand the microphone to one of the men who have taken over the prison and are holding Warden Johnston and his staff hostage. His name is Robert Olmsted. He's standing about 25 feet from me. He's a man of about 35, I'd guess, although from his bald head and wrinkled skin, it's hard to tell. He, he has oddly prominent eyes. Kind of spooky looking. He's wearing a convict's uniform. There are some other convicts standing behind him. The fire in the industries building is out, and the guns have been quiet for a few minutes now. It seems clear. I'm approaching now. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Olmsted was the government informant whose testimony pushed the Treasury Department to take action on Innsmouth in 1928. In a shocking turn of events, he later killed Agent Jack McGraw, the very Treasury agent to whom he had made his report. He attempted to flee from the scene of his crime with a cousin of his, one Lawrence Williamson, but they were both apprehended and arrested in 1933 and were later transferred to Alcatraz. At any moment now... We... People of America and the world, Dagon arises... And today is the beginning of your end. You have tried to kill us, but in this you can never succeed. You have herded us into concentration camps, but we will tear them down. You have shot death into the sea. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed a notice that Barnabas Marsh, the notorious leader of the Innsmouth cult known as the Esoteric Order of Dagon, father of the Marsh siblings, is also one of the Alcatraz prisoners. We have never wanted to harm the upper world. We have offered you wealth and sustenance and the glorious transfiguration of Father Dagon and Mother Hydra hey, and you. Look out behind you. You broke the first oath. Ladies and gentlemen, something has happened on Alcatraz. Something has happened to Robert Olmsted. A medic! Mr. Olmsted, can you hear me? Is he still alive? Palos Olmsted has been stabbed in the neck. He's bleeding heavily. We need a medic here! Uh, another prisoner, that, that humpbacked old man, ran up behind him and stabbed him. Oh, my God, he's bleeding everywhere. 
the old man jumped into the bay. Can you get him? Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Olmsted, the spokesman for the rioting prisoners, has just been stabbed by another prisoner. I think we heard him say the name Barnabas. We're told that Olmsted and his cousin were both previously committed to an insane asylum in Canton, Ohio. The speech he was making was certainly... Look! I can see a flag on the ramparts of the cell house. It's... It's Warden Johnston. He's free! The guards have retaken the prison! Palos, it worked! Ladies and gentlemen, it seems that the siege of Alcatraz is over. It would appear that the authorities allowed Robert Olmsted to make his statement in order to distract the attention of the radicals, giving the Navy a chance to strike the prison from the southern side. Naval gunboats have fired on the strange black shapeless jellyfish-like creatures that were earlier reported climbing outside the building, and they have retreated into the water with none remaining to be seen. Brave Ensign Isaza was the bait for their... Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been notified that the full crew of the USS Palos have stormed the island and secured the residential buildings where the families are housed. Prison officials at Alcatraz have now confirmed that was indeed Barnabas Marsh who attacked Mr. Olmsted before jumping into the bay. Citizens needn't be alarmed as he cannot possibly survive in the icy waters and treacherous currents of San Francisco Bay. Barnabas... More reports coming in now. The underwater attacks in Yokohama and Kagoshima have ended. Tahiti reports all clear. No sign of the attackers at Valparaiso, Zanzibar, Manila Bay, Stockholm. Ladies and gentlemen, it seems this global attack might indeed be over just as suddenly and mysteriously as it began. We can... Yes, we we have an updated report from Bert Phillips in Oakland. Ladies and gentlemen, fire in the exploded warehouse on the Oakland waterfront is now extinguished, and the police have taken a number of people into custody. They are being described as members of a cult. I am standing near the smoldering wreckage of their building, hoping for a glimpse of them as they are loaded into the paddy wagons. It is not known at this time what connection, if any, they had to the events transpiring today on Alcatraz Island or the tragic sinking of the thoroughfare and the CG-243. But stockpiles of allegedly religious literature that escaped burning in the warehouse have been confiscated by government authorities and will be carefully examined. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, perhaps you can hear now the prisoners. The cultists are now being brought out to the waiting paddy wagons. They're wearing ceremonial robes, and their military police escorts are carrying what do appear to be hats or metal crowns of some kind. Yes, they're loading them into the paddy wagons now, some of the prisoners shuffling or hopping along, perhaps injured in the struggle with officers. Fire crews will now begin to clean up the site while police gather the remaining evidence. A stunning triumph today for the forces of law and order. Thank you to Bert Phillips, Walter Davis, and the many technicians of the Worldwide Wireless News for their exemplary work in bringing you live reports of the momentous events of the day. Our thanks also to the brave military personnel in Portsmouth, San Francisco, and all our ships at sea. Ladies and gentlemen, we have back on the line with us one last time Professor Nathaniel Ward of Miskatonic University. Professor, can you hear me? Uh, Hello, Mr. Reed. I'm still here. Have you heard from Charlie Tower since we lost the transmission? No, not yet, Mr. Reed, but he can take care of himself. I'm sure we'll be hearing from him again soon. Professor, it seems that whatever Mr. Tower did seems to have made some difference and that the worldwide attack has been suppressed. Can you explain what has transpired today? These attacks must be connected. 
Is it your Innsmouth cult all over again? Mr. Reed, my colleagues and I will be looking into that, I can assure you. The Marsh family, perhaps, had some friends in deep places and were waiting for some main chance to move forward with bigger plans. The battle appears to be over for the time being, but if there are Nazi occultists and U-boats involved, we may have just postponed one kind of horror for another. That's a sobering thought. Yes. There are stirrings of a new war of worlds afoot. But let the people at home know, Mr. Reed, that we'll be watching out in the hope that they won't have to. Thank you, Professor, and Godspeed to you. Ladies and gentlemen listening at home, this is Nathan Reed speaking for Worldwide Wireless News. We'll be back with more news as it develops, but we happily return you now to your regularly scheduled program. been listening to Dark Adventure Radio Theater's Dagon, War of Worlds, based on Dagon and the Shadow over Innsmouth by H.P. Lovecraft. We hope you weren't too alarmed by our little news broadcast, ladies and gentlemen. And if we've taken more liberties than usual with our story this week, we hope that you and Mr. Lovecraft will forgive us. We thought it would be fun. This thrilling episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Bubble Pep. Keep them smiling with Bubble Pep. It's the Nerve Quencher. Drink Bubble Pep, let us pour you some. The L is for lithium, yum, yum. Until next week, this is Erskine Blackwell reminding you to never go anywhere alone. If it looks bad, don't look. And save the last bullet for yourself. Dagon War of Worlds was adapted for radio and produced by Sean Branny and Andrew Lehman. Original music by Reber Clark. The Dark Adventure Ensemble featured Aidan Branny, Sean Branny, Dan Conroy, Mike Dallager, Lucas Dixon, Matt Foyer, Andrew Lehman, Jacob Andrew Lyle, Barry Lynch, John A. McKenna, Grinnell Morris, Kevin Stidham, Josh Temke, and Time Winters. Tune in next week for... The Witch Doctor of Abu Dumbubu, a tale of exotic mystery. Dark Adventure Radio Theater is a production of the HP LHS Broadcasting Group, a subsidiary of HP LHS Incorporated, copyright 1935, plus 80.